Welcome to the Husky Hockey Podcast, your number one resource for everything Husky Hockey, college hockey related. And I just kind of want to start out here with a quick question. Um, Sure. You know, in your television viewing history, did you ever watch a show on VH1 called Behind the Music? Uh, Yeah. Yes, I did. You know, they, they always profiled bands, usually usually rock bands that would have a lot of fame early on in their career. Then it all comes crashing down. There's always a pivotal moment about minute 15 to 20 and talks about all their drug abuse, drug addiction, et cetera, et cetera. I feel like this series against UND was our, and then it all came crashing down. Not to say the whole season, not to say that, but all of the optimism and all of the uncertainty that UND had going into this series, it all just blew up in the Huskies' face. It it was just atrocious to watch. So you're saying this was the weekend that they crashed the tree into the car uh, high as a kite. Yeah. I don't know. Def Leppard lost an arm, right? The drummer did? Rick Allen. Yep. That's It, 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 it looked like the Huskies were playing one-handed. Huskies get blown out the first night, 7-1, to one, end up tying the second night uh, on Saturday, but losing in the, in the shootout. Uh, let's just start here with Friday's game. It was just so frustrating to see because I've never seen the defense play as poorly or as uncontrolled as they did this series. And really, the whole team itself, the, nobody was on the same page. Yeah, it was pretty bad. Nobody played well on Friday. A couple of those goals were just directly created through just botched passes from the defense. Pert at the fourth or the fifth goal. These all sort of blend together. Pert had a bad turnover. Basically, just handed the guy a goal. When he tried to flip the puck out. Yep. Perbix per- had Perbix one where he literally thing. walked in front of the net. Yep. <laughs> UND was pressuring, and you walk right in front of the net like that. And I get the game was out of hand, but... I've never seen a Huskies team actually quit like they did. You know, you're looking at Friday's game when, you know, they were blown out. Usually, you know, we've talked about when the Huskies blow out other teams, that third period usually is, you know, kind of lopsided towards the team that is getting blown out because the other team just kind of wants to get out of there. North Dakota was just sending a message. I mean, we only got three shots on goal the whole third period. They had more goals than we had shots. Equal number of goals that we had shots. Meyer had uh, a play where they were, it was, you know, kind of halfway in, halfway out, and he ended up doing neither and getting burned. That created an odd man rush. Uh, Trable had a misplay. I mean, these are all people who I've raved about in the past, and just all of them decide to lay an egg here this weekend. Yeah, Trable got benched on Saturday. He expected someone to, to take a seat. Not that Trable was glaringly bad, but he wasn't good. But uh, the whole team wasn't very good. I thought this was the worst weekend of the year for Hrenak. He gets pulled on Friday. I don't like the first goal. It is a tip. But that gets the weekend off to a rough start. I-, I wouldn't blame him on the other three very much. He wasn't the reason they lost, put it that way. But uh, Saturday, I thought he played poorly as well. Um, and, you know, it's, yeah, teams are going to have egg-laying weekends like this. But... Mm-hmm. And they played very, I mean, it's, it's, they got a point on the weekend. They got a tie. And for that reason alone, you can't put this below the Western Michigan sweep, which is also, I thought, a, a very bad all around effort. And from a paralyzed perspective, this didn't hurt them at all. I think they went into the weekend at five or five or six, and they're, they're the same as what they were. We went the, in weekend. at six. So we moved up to five. Oh, we actually moved up. I thought it was. Maybe they were tied for fifth or something. I thought they were right around this. I thought they were the same place. But nonetheless, it didn't hurt you from that perspective. It hurt you from a conference points standpoint, if we're interested in that. I mean, we're closer to seventh place now than fourth. Not that I think that CC is going to threaten to overtake them in the conference standings, but just an illustration of uh, the hole that they've dug here. Uh, now that the Duluth games have been rescheduled, Really got to win like three out of four against them minimum to have a chance at, at home ice. Uh, and then at least holding serve in the other games. I, I think, and now going into the stretch, maybe I'm getting ahead of myself, going into the stretch now without Herbix and uh, 
contentious for the Olympics for the next three weeks, seven games that you'll be missing. You include at least seven games uh, if you include the one Duluth game that they'll definitely miss. Um, the the and you got Denver next weekend. I thought it was big that they got a tie on Saturday. If they would have won the game, I probably would have thought it was the biggest win of the year just because you're going into to Denver next weekend, always a tough place to play, and Denver is very good this year. And then you got Western, who is a team that's given you fits in the last few years. And yes, those are home games, but it, you got a chance here that season's going to go sideways. You're going to be without those two players, plus Larson, so it's going to be a different vibe on the bench. And you're going to be shorthanded from two of your top contributors. So salvaging a non-loss out of that Saturday game was a, was a big feat for the Huskies. It was, it was a big feat, but how it happened was... They should have won the game. Is, they should have won it. And I was so excited, actually, after the Huskies did get blown out. And here, here's the thing that kind of irks me the most, is that you're on four straight. You're on a nice little win streak after a little bit of a break. And North Dakota is absolutely reeling. And, you know, this is the time to come out and really show the rest of the league, you know, what kind of team you are. And they put just altogether a lackluster effort and they get run out of the building. I was excited on Saturday to really watch how they are going to react and how they're going to bounce back and what kind of fire they're going to have. And it, you know, they came out, thought the first period, you know, was, was pretty good. And you know, in the end, you, you got two kind of breakaway goals. Maybe they were a little bit lucky. Fine. I'll take it, obviously. Um, but it's just to see that one just kind of slip through our fingers when, when you had the control is it was just just really frustrating to watch. And these are the games and these are the times where Husky teams of the past, you know, of the past, you know, I would, I would say better part of a decade have really, really stepped up. And this whole bounce back, it was, it was, it was just kind of withering and just died there after Sanderson's goal in the third, which you saw coming. Uh, Yeah. That they had been, I thought the biggest, yeah. tur- I thought the turning point in the game on Saturday was the second goal, which is was just a terrible goal to give up. Twice on the weekend, North Dakota had guys score their first goals of the year that Ness had never scored in two years. And then this Jandrick just kind of lobs a floater in from the, from the point, a pretty harmless looking shot. And, and Hranag, I don't know, didn't see it or, or what, uh, well, North Dakota did a great job of getting players in front of Rennick. And I think our defense did a terrible job of clearing people out. Right. And they were you know, they were able to just throw some seeing eye pucks through through the legs of defenders and it just it went past Rennick. North Dakota was so good at that. North Dakota was so good at like feather touch passes that just just behind the defense to get to open ice that their player was able to swoop in and, and make a play on the puck. And we just didn't have the effort um, really at all to combat that plenty of players. You know, I harped on the defense, but I felt Walker was invisible. I felt Brodzinski really didn't add much. Um, Hentges had a completely off weekend. It was, it was just a calamity of errors uh, for everyone involved. Yeah, and then, so you have that three. It's three to one at that point, less than three to two goal, and then obviously North Dakota really controls the play in the third period, and this is a matter of time. And great play by Sanderson. I thought the the best player on the ice all weekend, pretty clearly. very much so. Yep. Uh, it'll be nice to be able to cheer for him legitimately when he's at the Olympics <laughs> here. Um, but uh, I thought at three to one there, Saint Cloud gets the then whoever gets the next goal there is going to win that game, and. Uh, Hrennick lets in a bad goal and the, the, the moment, any momentum that they may have had at that point was, was pretty much gone. The other reason I didn't like the effort was, I mean, so they, uh, North Dakota pulls Helston after the first period, he gives up the first three goals. And again, a couple of those on, on, uh, breakaways. And, uh, I think the other one was on, on the power play. I didn't really fault him for those goals either, but he bring in, a uh, bring in, uh, Driscoll who, Huskies took you know good advantage of uh, in, in the series in St. Cloud, and he's kind of been on the mat as well. 
being unable to, to pop one in on him, even including the shootout and 0 for 4 attempts on, on Driscoll, I thought that was a wasted opportunity. They seemed to pe- pepper him in early in the second period when he was first put in the, the game, but pretty much after that second goal for North Dakota, the amount of offensive chances for St. Cloud kind of vanished and weren't able to sustain any real pressure on a goalie that is being pulled at this point of the season so because he's been so ineffective. So, yeah, from an offensive standpoint, they didn't they didn't do quite enough. I would say other than the penalties in the second period, St. Cloud didn't really have any sustained puck pressure at all in the offensive zone. And any chance that we did have on Driscoll, including in overtime, it was incredibly low percentage shots from way too far out, not in prime scoring areas. You got to get to those scoring areas, and we just didn't penetrate. You, you made it really easy for Driscoll. Yeah, yeah. It was it was a frustrating weekend, and and yeah, like I said, one good period out of six on the weekend, six plus if you include the overtime session on Saturday. It's generally not going to be a recipe to get any points. So, like I said, getting the one point is, I guess, uh, worth of, worthy of faintest of praise. But yeah, just going into this tough stretch now, the next two weeks, um, my my motto is just don't get swept. Uh, even get a tie or an overtime loss or something out of these. Just don't get swept. You'll be fine, I think. Um, but it's uh, troubling to see, you know, road efforts this year. You know, two worst series this year have been on the road, UND and, and North Dakota. I mean, granted, they're good teams and all that. But seems like they're quite a different team when they're not on home ice. Um, and yeah, you're going to get a big test this weekend against Denver uh, based on how they played this weekend. And it's a, it's, I mean, it's hockey. It's random. You look at Denver last weekend and, you know, they had to score two goals in the last five minutes to even get it to overtime against a terrible Miami team. We, we were talking about how bad Miami was last week and how, yeah, Denver is going to walk in there and, scoop up six points and they did or well, I guess they got five points because it took them one overtime to to win the Friday game uh, and they didn't look all that great on Saturday either um, so it's possible that the switch is flipped and they look great you know Huskies look great this weekend um, it would uh, pleasantly surprise me I guess um, but uh, yeah just don't get swept uh, and it's got a chance here to go real sideways real quick. So let's hope that they can step it up, stop the bleeding, and you know get back to what works for them. Uh, I, I don't know if the Miami series kind of gave them a big head or all that cliched stuff, but certainly didn't bring their A game to Grand Forks uh, and I made a good, not great North Dakota team look pretty, pretty good. Um, and so it was a frustrating weekend. Pretty much all around. Um, so let's yeah, hope yeah. that they can they can step up and right the ship here in the same way that North Dakota did this last weekend. You know, I completely agree with this North Dakota squad. You know, other than Sanderson, it's a really pedestrian team. Yeah, and there's I, not much there. I mean, they're they're getting carried. They're getting carried in long in large part by these transfer guys, these old CCHA guys like Calder and Ford. It's not like they're brimming with top-end talent. Uh, and, yeah, aside from Sanderson, even Gaber is probably their most hyped forward. Yeah, I, I was going to say, you know, obviously uh, Gaber, you know, Calder had some moments, um, but I wasn't really impressed with, I would say, anybody else other than they kept talking up Connor Ford and his face-off prowess. Which Saint Cloud was was murder. Oh my god! I'm glad that I'm glad you brought this up because oh my gosh, that linesman was just driving me batty. Number forty. It's bad when I have to look up the name of a linesman. Uh, Tyler Liffrig. He lives in Bismarck. He's like a financial advisor. That guy has zero business getting paid to officiate hockey games. and I thought the officiating, not that it, I don't think it mattered much as far as the result, because I don't think it was tilted one way or the other. The officiating was god-awful all weekend. That Liffrig, aside from the face-off shenanigans, which every single face-off, he did the same stuff. 
where he's just waiting for someone to put their stick down and then he'll give them the, the warning. I think it was at least a dozen times they had to redo a face-off, yep. which is just insane. And that lift rig, I mean, they're incompetence to the point where he blew the whistle dead. You catch this on Friday where there was a delayed penalty on St. Cloud. And so oh, yeah. they the pulled goalie. the goalie, and the, it was the, the linesman, Liffrig, who, who blew the uh, play dead because he thought it was too many men on the ice. Uh, it's like, dude, this is a pretty elementary standard uh, situation here that you're going to come across a couple of times a game. A couple of icings they, they missed, uh, and it was a, a clown show of a officiating performance. But like I said, I don't think it was tilted one way or the other. It was just bad all around. Um, Glad you brought that up uh, first and not me. Yeah, it's, you know, there were just so many, what, what was it, one, two, three, four, five, six tripping calls on the week on, on Saturday's game alone. And it's like, uh, it was... Struggle to, to really get a game flow going. That first yeah. period on Friday, the first period ended right around, like, exactly the same time that the Duluth-Western game went to the second period. They started at the same time. That's how slow the North Dakota St. Cloud game was, and the Western Duluth game was like four. They had it was two to two. So there was four goals. It's not like it was a you know quick period with no breaks in the action. That just gives well, you an idea. Well, it takes three how, times as long for the linesman to drop the puck. Yeah. So and he's doing the thing where he like he like kind of does like up. the he like squats. You know, he does this whole thing about like getting down and then. He did it every single time, very deliberate on it. And yeah, and I, I don't, again, I don't think it was favoring North Dakota, but in the faceoff draws, North Dakota was murdering St. Cloud all weekend. It seemed like all the big ones too, you know, faceoff draws in the beginning of a, a power play or a penalty kill situation seemed like North Dakota win all those. It was a frustrating weekend in all those, even just the smaller areas like faceoffs. Didn't seem like there was any part of the game where St. Cloud had the edge. So North Dakota's got Omaha and Colorado College the next two weekends at home. They're going to be without Sanderson. So it's, you know, it's going to be weird for me to say after a team that just took five of six points convincingly. But it's a good time for for, for Sanderson to miss some games. Um, yeah. I'll say that. You know, I, I do think they'll probably take at least three out of four. Maybe one of those games they'll kind of falter. But again, this uh, that's a pedestrian team. And... It's, you know, to, to see us come out with that kind of effort um, on a team that was kind of on the ropes there after four straight losses, um, five if you count the under 18, which I don't. But you needed to come up with some kind of better effort, and it was just squandered this weekend. Yeah, I agree. I can't disagree with that. Now, with us kind of turning the page then, you know, we got Denver on the horizon. They've announced the... Um, schedule, they they did end up rescheduling for the Minnesota Duluth series. And yep. to our thought, they were going to, you know, throw in some Tuesday games. That was kind of our consensus. It was either that or I also said that I didn't think they were going to reschedule and just kind of say, Boop, not going to happen. But so fourth, fifth, eighth, two at Denver, home against Minnesota Duluth. You know, Denver's got a solid squad, and it's, you know, we're falling, like you said, closer and closer to 6th, 7th, and, and being the odd man out when it comes to the to the, to the the home ice advantage in the playoffs. And, you know, I was playing around a little bit with the pairwise uh, customized tool and whatnot, just kind of looking, you know, all things are the same with every other team just kind of seeing where about the Huskies would land in for the rest of the series. And like, like you said, obviously splitting all these series, I think is really key. Uh, but th the big ones are losses always have more of an effect than wins. I think losing to bad teams hurts you way more than beating good teams in where St. Cloud state is right now. So playing with that Omaha and Colorado college, those are series that we really need to win. It's not do or die. I'm not on the edge of the cliff here or anything along those lines, but you know, this, this we have to bounce back. We're, we're down Hentges. We're down Perbix. Again, Hentage really, Hentage 
you know, I didn't think he did that much throughout the weekend. But, you know, Perbix is going to be a big hole factored in all three goals on, on, on Saturday's game. So it's going to be it's going to be key that we kind of get back right the ship and kind of see what Shyak does behind the bench. Um, because it's, you know, coming, coming in the stretch, it's, it's not do or die this weekend, no matter what, but geez, you know, some type of a split can really help our chances. Yeah. Or even just getting to overtime and, and, and salvaging some RPI points out of the deal. Uh, just can't go 0 and 4 the next, well, I guess you got the Dakota or Duluth game in there too. Can't go 0 and 5, uh, in the next two weeks. And I don't think they will. Um, but, and I agree that losing to, so Denver's three in pairwise, Western is four losing to these teams. You're not going to tumble in the pairwise. You do that. And it's, you're probably not even going to tumble that much. If you lose one of those Omaha games, although they've, I think they're, it's, is that the weekend? No, that the the Olympics guys are still going to be gone for that weekend as well. I still like the gone. I still like the matchup against uh, Omaha, but uh, but at least in the next two weeks, um, you're you're protected a little bit just because the schedule is so tough. You're playing you know all top ten pairwise yeah. teams, but like I said, you just can't go. You just can't just make a run here of of a big losing streak. Got to avoid that, and I think they will. Um, we'll learn a lot about that this weekend. We previewed Denver last or a couple of weeks ago, I suppose. Uh, and you can, not, not much else I can add to what we already said two weeks ago or three weeks ago, whatever it was. Denver is not missing anybody for the Olympics, which is a little surprising um, because it's not like they don't have guys like Brink or um, Gutman or Savoy or these kind of these kind of guys that would potentially help the Olympic squad. Uh, I'm surprised that they didn't have anyone uh, invited or or at least representing the team. So that, you know, they're already a good team as it is, and they're going to be playing a St. Claude team without two of their best players. So from the Olympics effect standpoint, you got to give Denver a little bit of an edge versus if they were to play the schedule, the original schedule date from a few weeks ago. But I don't know. They didn't look, they looked beatable this weekend against Miami. So it's possible uh, that you can go in there and, and beat them on one of those games. So I, I hope so. One of the the Friday games sounds like that's a CBS game. Yep. So everyone gets to to fish around, get their YouTube TV trial, or however you're gonna uh, stream the game, or depend on the KVSC guys or radio guys. Let's uh, let's hope for a good weekend. Like I said, I I just don't want to get swept. That's the goal. You know what kind of surprises me with Denver, you know, like I said in the last podcast, I believe how they kind of load up one line. I still think they do, but you know, they're getting quite a bit of scoring from, from really everywhere. And you're looking at the overall, you know, team statistics with between goals, uh, goals per game for, for Denver and for St. Cloud state. And they're, they're both up there. Uh, both I think are averaging over four goals per game. So it's, you know, you expect that it's going to be a very offensive-minded series. Uh, but St. Cloud hasn't, like you said, hasn't played that well on the road. And they've got a lot of questions in regard to that. And before anybody asks, I don't think it's Olympic ice. I think that's just an easy cop-out narrative that people like to say that's holding St. Cloud back like it's a magical elixir that all of a sudden we're going to win championship after championship if we played on 85 instead of 100. But, it you know, just in general, you know, being able to perform on the road and, you know, during travel and whatnot, it's obviously incredibly important, especially when it comes to tournament time. Something that the Huskies really haven't been able to do and, you know, we really haven't been able to make any long trips either, you know, with this, even our non-conference schedule, everything was really tight, you know, close together, close into St. Cloud. So, you know, this is, a, you know, a really key series on that front as well. And we got to, we got to, 
we got to just show up with a lot more effort than we did over this weekend because if we showed up with the same effort that we did against North Dakota, we're just going to get steamrolled out of out of Denver. Yeah, and nine guys, they got nine guys. Uh, nine, got, nine times? Nine times. Nine times. Nine times. Nine times. Uh, on the stat sheet, there's a Denver player with over 20 points, uh, including a couple of defensemen in that list. Uh, their top two lines, I mean, that, that top line, as we mentioned, Gutman, Savoy, Brink, um, all solid players, uh, good players. Second line, Mazur, Rizzo, Cameron Wright has 16 goals, actually leads the team uh, in goals scored. Uh, that's a top line. You got that Brett Stately, who's been one of their best players over the last few years. He's centering the third line right now. I mean, that gives you an idea of their scoring depth. And like I said, they got a couple of those uh, defenseman, uh, uh, Barons and uh, uh, Benning. Yeah, Benning. Benning. Yep. Uh, they've got over 20 points as well, and they play a pretty tight defensive game as well. So, I mean, this is a pretty damn good Denver team. Um, and yeah, they're averaging 4.6 goals per game. And I am. They, they, they beat up on some weaker opponents earlier in the year. They scored a bunch of goals in ASU. They routed Air Force a couple of times. They had their, had their way with Miami. Um, but uh, how did they struggle even, against Miami? Well, I mean, that's how did Duluth <laughs> tie Miami the week before they got blitzed by uh, the Huskies? It's it's hockey, man. You know, like it's uh, every week is something different. And then even Krona, their goalie, you know, he had a uh, prior to this last weekend, he had three straight shutouts. So he's possibly he's more than capable of going on a run of uh, of shutout hockey. So. This will be a, a, quite the test. Maybe the biggest test all year. Uh, this might be the, big, the best team they play all year. I'm saying so. something. Saying something because they've already played Mankato and, yeah, and uh, Western you know, is up there as well. So it's just uh, a, another notch in the grind of the schedule for the Huskies. Uh, let's hope we can at least salvage something out of the weekend. Don't, don't uh, lay a complete goose egg up there. If you if you were to pick your favorite John Hughes movie, you know now that I'm just thinking about Ferris Bueller's Day Off, that probably is the that's probably my favorite. I mean, what else we got? I, I got to think here. Sixteen Candles, and then I mean he like wrote Vacation. Didn't yeah, I it. mean, and that's he the thing is like, are we talking director, producer? I mean, I suppose there's a, a couple. I mean, but uh, yeah, like you said, vacation, well, I mean, oh, sixteen breakfast, candles, breakfast club, breakfast clubs breakfast up there club. as well. Pretty That's in a, pink, uh, Uncle Buck, planes, trains, and automobiles. Good. That that actually might be my favorite. I do like planes, I, trains, and automobiles. I don't think I've seen all of planes, trains, and automobiles. Really, I've not. I've not seen Pretty in Pink. So I've seen most of Pretty in Pink. <laughs> I saw, um, Uncle Buck. That's that's good. It's been a while since I've seen it. I do remember liking it though. But yeah, Breakfast Club was always, uh, you know, I'm a communication studies minor, and that was pretty much always our go-to movie when it talks about small group communication and whatnot and communication dynamics. That is a good one. All right, where were we? I'm sorry. Just anytime I hear nine times, I think about Ferris. Ferris is a good one too. Not Ferris F and State. But Not Ferris, Ferris, Be- Ferris Bueller. No. Maybe that's Bueller. where Ferris. Maybe that's where Ferris State got its name from. From Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Maybe that's where they they took the name from it. They they drove the Porsche from Chicago to to uh, Big Rapids. And I've I've watched. Uh, I'm watching all the Dirty Harry movies. There was five of them. Can you name any of the? Can you name any of the four sequels? And hint: they're not Dirty Harry Two, Dirty Harry Three. They all have. Specific dirty, titles. They don't have dirt. Electric Boogaloo. Yeah, that, that is actually the subtitle to Magnum Force, <laughs> the second one. Magnum Force, The Enforcer, Sudden Impact, and uh, The Deadpool. They're not great, but it's kind of fun to notch them all off my list. Wait a minute. Was it like The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly? Wasn't that one of them? That was a different series that Clint Eastwood starred in. Jeez. Those were westerns. How many, how many movies was Clint Eastwood in? A lot, and I've I've watched a lot of them over the last couple of years. I used to hate him, um, particularly as like a director. Uh, I hated things like Million Dollar Baby and Mystic uh, River. 
those kind of movies. Um, but I really have gotten into him. I think I think you need to be a little older to appreciate him. Unforgiven, I think, is fantastic. That and Good, Good the Bad, the Ugly are my two favorite westerns. Um, he's yeah, and he's very prolific. I mean, he's he's over ninety years old. And he made a movie last year, starred and directed it. So he's uh, and he doesn't seem like he's running out of steam either. He'll make it to a hundred easy. I don't in western. It's not even. It's not that big of a genre for me. Like other than you know, obviously Star Wars, but like anything other than that as a western, I don't really. I'm not really drawn to it. I think I've only really seen a handful. Um, Tombstone, which obviously, you know, the, but even, even that, I think, I mean, that might be it for Westerns. Well, part of the Other reason than, is that they're it, the, not many of them are made. I mean, after the seventies, the eighties, for instance, there's probably a dozen Westerns period in that decade. Unforgiven kind of kicked off a minor resurgence. That's kind of why we got things like Tombstone and Wyatt Earp in the early 90s, because Unforgiven was an Oscar winner and big box office film. For a while, yeah, Eastwood was one of the few guys to do them for a decade plus there. Uh, and yeah, we still don't really get a ton of them nowadays. It's not like horror. Like horror movies are seemingly like the most popular genre. Westerns have seemingly, and they used to be more, much more like the B movie staple. You'd get every, you, they were cranking Westerns out in the 40s and 50s and to a lesser extent the 60s, but they took a hiatus for quite a long time. But there are some good ones. I mean, I'm, it's not my favorite genre, but, but there are some pretty darn good ones. I can't believe I forgot Blazing Saddles. Of course, I've seen Blazing Saddles. Yeah, I mean, that's more of a comedy than a Western, I'd say, but. <laughs> Yeah, it, Western it comedy, right? Maybe it counts. So, um, yeah, Unforgiven. I don't really know, like any. I I don't think I've actually seen a John Wayne movie. Um, I saw the remake of True Grit, which I liked. Um, yeah, I haven't seen that? much of John. I I saw. I liked the the True Grit remake when I saw it in the theater. I yeah, I, there's not a ton of John Wayne. I've it's the searchers I've seen in a film class. Um, yeah, not really into that era of western. It's more of the more of the postmodern revisionist westerns that I like. The the three uh, Eastwood ones that he did with Sergio Leone are all spectacular. Um, it's particularly the good, the bad, the ugly, and um, yeah, fistful of dollars and for a few dollars more. They each get better. It's not really a trilogy. It's a loose trilogy, but. They they get better as they go along, um, and ending ending with Good the Bad the Ugly, which is a great great movie. You don't need to be a fan of westerns, I think, to like that movie. Same with uh, Unforgiven. If you're on the fence about westerns, that's a good one to start on because it's accessible and you'll get the western vibe from that movie. Uh, and it's yeah, it's very good. So if you're ranking it like against Tombstone, like have a Tombstone meter here. Are we above or below Tombstone? Don't it's shake long, your head. Are you saying you're not a fan of Tombstone? It's been a long time since I've seen it. Ooh, okay. I don't even, I don't like remember any of the scenes from it. I saw it a long time ago, so maybe I'll have to revisit it. It would be tough to beat Unforgiven based on just, I have a high uh, respect for that, for that film. And I saw it because it's, it's a best picture winner. Fairly, I mean, it's 30 years old at this point, but it's not like it's a black and white movie or anything like that from seven years ago. But it's like, I, I, I don't, is there any, re, is there any lines from it? It doesn't seem like it's one of those movies and particularly like a best picture winner that has seemingly stayed in the conversation in film. So that's kind of why I was interested to see it. And I was kind of blown away by it. Uh, and I think it holds up very well. Um, so yeah, I didn't go into it with any sort of uh, expectations of me really enjoying it as much as I did. Maybe that's why I liked it so much because I had, Pretty much no expectations about it, but it's a good one. So it was 1993 Academy Awards. <laughs> that's yeah, when Al Pacino. That's when Al Pacino won for Scent of a Woman. To I think we've mentioned that. We've podcast. mentioned we've mentioned that on on the show before. Yeah. Let's see who who was it up against. I think Scent of a Woman was nominated. I don't think 92 is that great of a year. Film wise, but like 93, 94 were much better years. Howard's End, Scent of a Woman, The Crying Game, and one of 
my wife's favorites. Maybe that's not easy. But she's always interested when it's on TNT, uh, a, f- a Few Good Men. Oh, yeah. And it's always on TNT. I think <laughs> it's they're, I always think on TV. Ball, uh, ball once a it, week. A Few Good Men followed by Shawshank is usually your one-two yeah. punch when it comes. And it's a good way to spend about five hours. So, um, Micah Miller scored his fourth shorthanded goal. Player of the weekend? Uh, six is the record for uh, shorthanded goals in a season with uh, with obviously Mark Hardigan. So, you know, if you were to make a prop bet here, do you think he ties Hardigan? Do you think he beats it? Do you think he comes short? Where do you think he's going to land on the pantheon of shorthanded specialists? That's a tough thing to predict. I mean, they're, it's weird. I like, I, I don't know if I, he thought I was kidding. He probably would have been my player of the weekend. I don't know if we were giving up that bit because the, the weekend was so bad, but <laughs> no, and it is, a, it is, truth, a, I forgot about it. So, well, I'll, um, I'll, well, I'll, I'll do it right now. I'll, sure, Cause you can't it. really, no one had a good game on Friday. So this really comes down to Saturday or at least, you know, who didn't stand out as being terrible. Like, you know, Perbix had a good game on Saturday, but he had kind of a bad game on Friday to kind of cancel each other out. Whereas Miller, was inoffensive on Friday. It's not like he stuck out as being a problem. And on Saturday, I just that that third goal was great. He, I mean, he burned Sanderson on that play. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. him having that breakaway type speed and kind of undressing the best player on the ice for North Dakota was, you know, made it that much more uh, of a highlight reel type goal. Is he going to get what? So he's at four. You said he's, he's got to get. He's got to get two more, and we got what twelve games left or so, just in the regular season. Ten, twelve. Yeah, we got twelve games left in the regular season. Obviously, obviously, at least two uh, in the playoffs. Yeah, you know what? I'll I'll say he's going to tie it. I think he can get two more. I don't know about three, but I I like his chances to to tie it. How about you? That's that's crazy that we're even like just four shorthanded goals so far in the season is ridiculous. Um, I'm going to say, yeah, I'm, I'm going to root for it either way. So I'm going to say, yes, he yeah. does. He's, he's going to, he's, he's going to beat it. He's going to get seven. All right. And it's going to come. I like it. It's going to, it's going to come in the NCAA regional is, Ooh. is when he's going to get his seventh shorthanded goal. The uh, first game or the final, the regional final, the first game. All right. Well, and then we'll, uh, we'll lose that game six to two. <laughs> it's not going to have ourselves. Um, we'll write that down. Uh, we got all these other predictions that we made all this year. All these um, other predictions. I'll put it on my whiteboard. I'm still waiting for Herenak to score a goal, which was, a, uh, I think, the first show this year. I predicted that. And that hasn't happened yeah, He yet. almost gave up that one where he, he tried. Tr- he tried. Yep. He, he tried Perfect. to give. Save that give. one. Yeah. But, uh, yep. I, I, I like I like how, uh, how Miller's doing it. And I... He's at least going to get, he, he's not done at four. I guarantee that. Yeah, I would, you know, Miller I, is a good choice. I, he's consistent. Um, I thought Chase Brand, he, he had a pretty good, he had a pretty good series. Um, that's actually who Go Huskies Woo picked. Um, nobody for Friday, but Chase Brand, he guessed for Saturday. And I was like, yeah, that that's kind of fair. I mean, yeah. You, you, it was just one of those where you can't really say fill in the blank had an excellent weekend. So, uh, but yeah, mine would probably go back to Miller. So, um, around the league, was there anything else that you kind of wanted to touch up on? Um, I'll just kind of give a rundown here of where we're at with the uh, conference standings. Uh, Denver sitting up at top at thirty-two points. North Dakota twenty-nine. Western Michigan twenty-six. Duluth right behind at twenty-five. And then St. Cloud at 19, Omaha at 17, Colorado College at 14, Miami is terrible. So it's, it, more and more the season goes on, you know, that series, these four games coming up against Minnesota Duluth are huge when it comes into the, to the standings and getting home ice. I think home ice, we're going to be in the NCHC tournament at the XL and on away, I don't know if we go up the deck and get it done. 
Um, well, you're not going to go. You're in- not going to go up to the deck to do it first. I suppose it's right. It's still right, like next door to Amsoil, so it's in oh. the same complex. But yeah, they stopped playing at the deck about ten years ago. I was gonna say, yeah, like what oh nine maybe is when they stopped. <laughs> so something ten so, or something eleven. Like that. I yeah. I miss the deck. I'm gonna say it. I the deck had charm. I don't know if you ever it, saw a game at the deck. I did not. But, um, but it, like I said, it's it still had, standing. Yeah. It had opera style opera style seating, so it's like straight up and down, and you're looking straight down at the ice, and it's like playing in a pinball table, the way the dimensions were in that I think it was like one ninety four by yeah. 79 or something like that it was just like the like the old chicago stadium i think that was the same same way it wasn't like madison wasn't the old madison uh rink similarly like small not 200 feet uh yeah i like those kind of quirks to your point like like i said they're six points behind so in order to catch up to them you got to make up the six points which means you really got to take three out of four against them just to get in that conversation. So that means most likely taking these two games at St. Cloud and then splitting up in Duluth at a minimum. Easier said than done. Uh, I I like how they, I mean, they haven't played yet this year, so we're always going on hypothetical how the other team, how we've seen the other teams play. I like how St. Cloud matches up against Duluth, but I say that every year. And Duluth is, uh, is racks up national titles, so who knows? <laughs> um, but... Uh, Yep, Duluth also has an off weekend um, before playing um, at St. Cloud on on Tuesday. They, 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 always, without, they always get the breaks. Yeah, right. Uh, they will be without... Um, I think Cates is gone on the Olympic team. Yeah, I think you're right. Though that's a huge part of their offense, too. You know, uh, Duluth isn't a big powerhouse when it comes to you know, putting up points, you know, you got, uh, beyond Biondi, beyond I don't know. I Biondi. don't hear his name because we haven't played Blake. Um, really kind of driving the offense with Noah. So them Noah being out, I think is gonna, is, is going to hurt Duluth more than Hentius being out for St. Cloud. Really? Since Hentius has been absent for a lot of the season anyway, for St. Obviously, Perbix is big. I still think St. Cloud has the depth for it, so I, I still think we're gonna be we're gonna be okay when it comes to that series. But you got to show up for it. And yeah. Denver on the horizon. It's we 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 got to start making some hay because I I don't like our chances going on the road the way we played so far this season. Yeah. As far as the. Uh... The week that was in the NCHC, I guess the only big surprise was, and I don't even know if it's that much a surprise now, but but uh, Omaha dropping a game to CC. If they would have swept that series, they would have 20 points and be ahead of the Huskies at this point. Now, again, they have two games in hand to uh, St. Cloud, so it's not a, you know even number of games there. But still, the point remains, you're only two points ahead of Omaha. and uh, But I think the main thing there is Omaha continues to just not impress as far as, like, these are games... I know CC's not as god-awful as they were in years past. I think they're a decent, decent-ish team. Not good, but not horrible. But, you know, a team like Omaha on the bubble, you'd think those are games that they need all six points a, a series like that is is right pickings but they've done that all year i mean they dropped a game to miami earlier the year they lost a game to cc at home earlier so when they've been in the conference play they just don't seem to take the bull by the horns and make a statement weekend which again makes me confident when st cloud does play them that even without those guys that we mentioned i think they're going to be fine let's not get too far ahead of ourselves although i just wanted to mention i thought that was uh that was the most, maybe not, I don't know, one of the, it was a notable result that I wanted to take note of. Yeah, very much so. I did want to mention, too, if, you know, I'm not, at least I'm not uh, knowledgeable enough as far as doing a uh, 
Olympic preview because it's going to be starting relatively soon here. Probably by the next, by the time we have a next podcast, they'll be underway. I think. Uh, pretty sure they said that they were flying out yesterday. Um, so they're probably in China as we speak. I just want, I mean, with this, uh, how they ended up doing it this year, it's just frustrating to me where I, I don't understand it. And I'd like to get your thoughts on this. You know, what, 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 what is the, what is USA hockey's goal when it comes to Olympic hockey at this point? I feel like they need to, all the interested parties need to get together here. And well in advance of the 2026 Olympics, the next time that the, this thing happens, they need to get on the same page as far as what are we going to do with the Olympics? How are we going to populate the team? Is this going to be a, a college-heavy thing like it used to be, like in the Miracle on Ice days? Or is this going to be something that the NHL players are going to participate in? Does it matter? Does a gold medal in hockey matter to the same extent that it once did? Um, I think that's a question they need to ask because I don't know. I don't know how if that's it's. It certainly doesn't strike me the same way that it would have in 1980, for instance. Um, but you just can't. What I'm saying is you can't have a situation where it's three weeks before the games start and you're picking guys off of college rosters in the middle of the season when they used to do it in the 80s prior to the NHL participation. Those like the 1980 team, they played an entire year. They weren't on their college teams. They took an entire year off and played as the Olympic team for an entire season. They played like 60 games before they even went to the Olympics that year. And so it's kind of like the U18 team, but obviously now with an age restriction, would kind of be the modern day equivalent to that. Uh, I don't think it's really good for the NCAA and these specific teams involved to lose certain number of guys in the middle of the year with very little lead time to prepare for that. Uh, Coaches, coaching staff as well. I don't like the, and like I said, when we talked about it, when they were announced to the team, I think it's a great opportunity for Larson and for the players involved. But I just don't like the rushed approach. And we're always waiting on whatever the NHL does. And then we got to scramble to find a plan B. First of all, what, what, I mean, do you still hold uh, USA getting Olympic gold is, is, uh, is a prestigious thing worth, worth attaining? Uh, and then B, what's your, do you want it to be a pro, you know, NHL guys uh, that do it? Or would you prefer something where it is more, where it's all college guys, like how the Miracle on Ice team was? Or something like this, this mishmash of NCAA guys and then AHL retreads. It it just strikes me that the current situation, not only the timing of how it came together, but just the makeup of the somewhat randomness of pro guys playing in Europe, AHL guys, and then high-end NCAA guys doesn't strike me as a very cohesive plan on how to go forward ranting and and rambling here what what's your take on all this well i i think everything is going to be addressed in the next nhl cba and when they get the next labor agreement i think there is going to be a clause because that from what i've gathered the players do want the option to go you know and and it just and it sounds like it probably would have happened this year if it wasn't for um, Om- Omicron coming out and kind of raging its head and, and causing NHL to cancel some game or postpone some games and then needing to make those up, you know, basically they were like, we can't afford to shut it down uh, for, for a couple of weeks. And, you know, NHL does a horrible job marketing anyway, so they wouldn't be able to market off of the exposure of the Olympics gets anyway because they're terrible at it. So from what I imagine is that next year or the next coming years when they renegotiate for the CBA, it's going to say, yep, we're going to have something set in place to go. 
And with that, this question is going to kind of go by the wayside. And I, if it doesn't, I don't think it's fair for USA Hockey to just kind of sit and wait, twiddle their thumbs to see what happens with the NHL. I think they need to set up a, a program or a different team where, like you said, they just take a year off and play as a team, maybe play a college or, you know, some type of other schedule to really prepare, you know, or exhibitions against other, you know, Olympic teams. You know, we can do that as well. So it's, you know, I think it just depends on the CBA. If there isn't a CBA in place where it says that they're going to go, then, yeah, USA Hockey has to actually put the roster together ahead of time and say, nope, we're, we're not going to take NHL players anyway. So that's kind of where I see this all going. And, and, and if you had your druthers, um, you would want NHL players playing in the Olympics versus yes. NCAA? Okay. Yep. I, I want, I just want the best and whether they're pros or, or not, I, I would want that. So, and you know, looking back like the game and the games in like Salt Lake city or whatnot. I mean, those were absolutely fantastic yeah. you know, Vancouver. games to watch or Vancouver. Yeah. Well, both, both. So, I mean, both of those Olympics were, were pretty good. And Oh six was, that was what that was the year that perish and, Malone, well, I think, around the team, or yeah, any color. Torino was tur- Torino was garbage. I don't remember I watching anything from that Olympics. I remember because <laughs> like, they were on at like two o'clock in the morning. I remember staying up for a couple of those games, but uh, I the the 2010 one, the Vancouver, I definitely watched a bunch of those, and and that uh, Salt Lake. Mm-hmm. So and but really, it all comes down to me, you know, when I'm going to be watching hockey or whatnot, the Olympics. I'm way more excited for the women's hockey and I'm way more excited for USA Canada because those games are intense. They're fun. They're action packed. And it, it, you can tell those teams just absolutely hate each other. It, it makes her some fun hockey to watch. Yeah. Agreed. Uh, yeah, let's, let's hope that, um, that they can all come together on a, on a plan here. I just, I don't mind either. I don't really have a strong preference. I think I agree with you that having the best players, you know, is the best way forward. So the NHLers having them participate, I would say would be the best, but as long as there is not a distinct, you know, tilted advantage, if certain countries are going to play with pros versus if others are only going to play with amateur players or, a mix of what we like, what we have this year. Um, I would be, I mean, obviously the, the miracle on ice is legendary for, you know, for that, for the reason of being the amateurs against maybe the pros. And that can be, you know, that can be fun as well. Um, So I just want them to be able to come up with a plan that doesn't need to be reshuffled at the last minute. I just don't like how it came together here. And, Maybe that's because it's it's affecting St. Cloud in a in a way. Um, it could. It has the possibility of of negatively affecting them. Um, but yeah, I just I like you said. I, I it's going to be something that they're going to have to to hash over with the uh, NHL uh, owners, the players uh, association. Let's hope that they can at least just come up with something that is a set in stone plan. That's no guesswork. The Olympics are coming this year. What are what are we going to do this time? Uh, needs to be some consistency in the approach. So uh, that's mainly what I'm what I'm looking for. I uh, I held an Olympic silver medal. Did I ever tell you that? I don't think so. Who's whose was it? Uh, Ann Schleppers. Uh, she uh, from Saint Cloud. For, yep, Saint Cloud. From Saint Cloud. Um, yep. De- uh, defenseman for. Um, the 2014 team in Sochi that got bronze in probably the most heartbreaking hockey fashion that I've ever seen where they gave up. Oh yeah. That, uh, you know, they could collapse in the third and the last yeah. in overtime. And, but um, yeah, she was down at the blue line South and 
and I, I talked to her or, you know, I came over and talked to her and got a picture taken with me holding a silver medal. It was pretty cool. She was there for an event. Like, come meet Ann Schleppers. Or she no. just goes to the blue line and has her silver medal wherever no, she goes. She was there with her family and eating food. <laughs> and she just I happened to go. I, I didn't go like up. I think she was like meeting like, you know, some of the bartenders or owners of that. Like it wasn't like an event or it wasn't advertised that she, I just happened to be there and she was there and yeah, she had her medal and she was showing people. I guess if I was an Olympic medalist, I'd probably keep that thing around my neck at all times. Well, it was, it was right weird. after the season too. And I think it was just more like people are going to ask about it. So it's like, you know, kind of give them, you know, I still talk about it. So it clearly made an impression. And oh, she was so nice. You know who she's married to, by the way? Uh, Denard Span. Really? Yeah. I, I was going to come up with how two about, how about that for names. a crossing of worlds. Just, uh, he's retired I, now, isn't he? I think he's retired now. He's a good little player, though. I, I liked him. He was a great, I was ticked when the twins traded him. Well, it was. He got to a point where he was a little too expensive for the, well, yeah, for the exactly. poll ads there. Can't, so. can't pull out the pocketbooks for that. <laughs> so that's my silver medal story there. Those things, all the Sochi medals at least, oh, they're heavy. They're, like, I, I mean, I guess I didn't think about like how much uh, a medal would weigh. You know, it's, it's a precious just, metal. You know? it's, the, the gold it, is probably even more, is, in, is even heavier. Uh, anything else you kind of wanted to touch on here uh, before we wrap up? That sitch, the sitch in Mish. Well, Michigan is um, an S show, to say the least, right now. Number uh, one in pairwise. Number one in pairwise. So I guess they got that going for them, which is nice. Behind um, the scenes, it's not so not so number one. Tech hockey guide. Um, uh, submitted a Freedom of Information Act to go emails uh, for Mel Pearson. Not even that. And... It was some. It was some random guy, some random fan. It wasn't even someone mention or that works for that blog. It was just some season ticket holder. <laughs> He's like, I'm just gonna play Woodward and Bernstein and file a FOIA request. And uh, they nail. Well, they they think they nailed uh, Pearson on the smoking gun email. That goes back to what the summer where he's like, this is, we want to get out of this. He made a mention of like, we've been talking about this since August or something that we want to maybe scrub the GLI this year. And then emails a few weeks before the game was supposed to take place where he's sort of prodding the, one of the trainers or someone in the athletic or, uh, medical staff yeah, can you can you make this seem like you're taking the decision out of my hands which he was on record saying this was yeah. the this was the training staff i didn't have any say in this well this directly contradicts that claim of pearson so you can make all the ducking jokes that you want that's bad enough but then on top of that a separate report through Either the, was it the student newspaper or was it one of the Detroit papers? Somewhere a reporter got got wind of, it seems like a bigger story as far as multiple allegations where it's, I think the AD is, is, uh, is named as far as like a, you know, the toxic work environment claim. There was a COVID thing where Apparently Pearson was trying to get this going back to last uh, NCAA tournament when they were supposed to play in Fargo. And then they had to cancel that game because of COVID some possible shenanigans there. Um, and yeah, a couple of other claims. Uh, and so they're, they're launching an, an investigation into all of those the school is and, this coming off the heels of union coach Rick Bennett, who won a national title with them a few years ago. He was fired 
um, for at these at this time kind of vague reasons, but something to do with you know bad locker room. Uh, Technically, uh, he resigned. He resigned. Yes, he, he was put on leave for an investigation, and then that seemed to be substantiated. So then he just said, "I'll save you the trouble of, fi- of firing me," and and he was let go, or he gave you know resigned. So it seems like part of that's a similar claim going on in the Michigan, uh, on the Michigan side. Not the best PR, not the best week for Mel Pearson and the Michigan hockey team, put it that way. And, you know, it's possible that these allegations lead to nothing. I know earlier in the year, there was this story uh, brewing about the Omaha USHL team Check out like the Rink Live did like a follow up on that. Turns out like the allegations there, which seem to be pretty um, severe allegations, seems like those were all sort of nothing, much ado about nothing. So it's possible this well, could blow blow over the same. USA way. Hockey did their own independent research and pretty much was like all of those reports were wrong, and then that was yeah. the end of it. <laughs> it, was, it was it was a weird. I mean, say, say what you story. want about Sloshman and whatnot, but I'm going to believe his journalistic. So, yeah, so I, yeah, we'll bring it up as far as, uh, Michigan, like I said, not having the best week, uh, off the ice, um, even as they handily took care of a God awful Wisconsin team on the ice. Any, any other thoughts on that? It's, I mean, all of this is coming and you just hear report after report about hockey culture and, and whatnot. It's, I don't, I, I don't know. It's, we, we just have to do a better job and I don't, we, we can't keep having these things happen and keep propping up. Um, it just gets exhausting as a fan of trying to, to justify being a fan when all of the other things are kind of going around. So, you know, it's tough to kind of comment on it right now because we don't know, you know, kind of the full details and whatnot, but it's, I don't know. Yeah, well, it just, it, it's just tough. And it, it, I, I, I just hope we get to a point where there's a lot less controversies in hockey. Yeah. Again, I'm reserving judgment for this. I mean, we can, it, the, the GLI thing seems to be, pretty cut and dry i mean oh, i think yeah. he's he's definitely open to criticism on how he handled that and and seemingly the the lies that he put out in the media trying to play damage control there that looks bad enough these other allegations i want to wait until their uh, investigation is done but it's tricky because this i mean the the union situation union uh sucks this year and they haven't been very good for the last couple of years uh, he did win a national title for them. True. And this wasn't just some fly by night guy, uh, but bad season and the team's not having a good year makes that decision. Maybe a little easier. This is a situation where number one team in pairwise, he's this recruiting genius. It's brought all these top line blue chippers that we can't hear enough about. Um, and so you get into the trickier situation of do we do the right thing? Let's say if the, the allegations are exactly what, and not to say that it is, but exactly what Bennett was was uh, alleged to do, or something in that ballpark. Um, you know, the right thing to do would be to, to to let him go because you know that's that's not tolerated at the school. But are you going to do that a month to go in the season with the best team in in the country? It's the whole sort of when is it all about athletics and when is it about, you know, the morals and, and, and standing up for, for what's right and all that. It's, that's a quandary that wasn't in place at Union. And so I'm interested yeah. to see how it handles or if they decide to, you know, the investigation kind of the results are after the season. You know, I, I, I'm wondering how the, chain of events is going to go here but i'll just i'll just say i don't trust michigan to to just based on the small action. the small sample size of how they handled the gli thing um yeah. 
yeah, now they got some like national uh, consulting group that's you know, in charge of this. So maybe, maybe that gives it a little bit of distance. It's not just the university doing the investigation. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's a much bigger situation and bit much bigger school name brand, um, uh, with Michigan. So yeah, interested to see how this handle or how this shakes out and, and, and how it's handled going forward. But yeah, like I said, not, not good for the sport to make headlines like this and hopefully we can, uh, get a resolution that is satisfactory. Well, that about does it. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. Don't forget to uh, comment and subscribe to the podcast. Uh, we, we appreciate everybody, and uh, thank you so much. We'll be back next week. Check uh, out my Twitter you know, in regard to the Tuesday's game, but for sure Monday is going to work. Maybe an extra pod during the week. Maybe not. I don't know. We'll see. So, um, uh, until next time, uh, thanks everybody. Go Huskies. Woo. Woo.